0: guys feeling tonight? Wow. Worship was powerful, huh? I want you guys to turn to your neighbors and say, I'm still burning. (laughs) I want you guys to open up your Bibles. We're going to look at Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter nine. I feel good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mark chapter 9. I'm going to look at starting from uh, verse 2. I'm going to see a pretty incredible um, part of Scripture. We're going to read from verse 2 uh, all the way to uh, verse 8. Actually, let's go all the way to verse 13. Actually, let's go all the way to verse (laughs) 29. Dang, I just extended that. All right, starting from verse 2. Let's do it like this. I'm going to read verse 2, and you guys can read the um, following verses. We'll go back and forth. Sounds good? All right, here we go. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Oh, I just kept reading, didn't I? Go ahead. Why don't you guys start at four? And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it was written of him. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And someone from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. are we? But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Everybody say, amen. We're going to start with this first part of the two passages that we just read. Here are Peter, James, and John, and Jesus takes them up high on a mountain. He takes them to this high place and this supernatural, incredible thing happened. Jesus transfigured in front of them. And as he does, his clothes become radiant. Scripture says intensely white, like it would be impossible to get this white if you had all the bleach in the world. And not only that, as he's like transfiguring into this amazing supernatural, you know, outfit, All of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appear and they're talking to Jesus. Okay, let's just get one thing straight. Elijah and Moses were dead. Okay, just wanted to make that clear. They were dead. They weren't Jesus' homies that, you know, just came up with the mountain and, you know, all of a sudden appeared. These were dead prophets. Okay, dead leaders, major leaders of the Old Testament. Elijah, I talked about him at the retreat. He's the one that confronted 450 prophets of Baal. He's the one that had the audacity to pour jugs of water, have jugs of water poured over the sacrifice, over the wood, and God came down in fire. He was gangster. Moses, Moses was the leader of the Israelites. He's the one that helped deliver them out of years of bondage from Egypt. He led them out. He confronted Pharaoh and had all these ten plagues, you know, uh, go after Egypt. And Moses walked them out, parted the Red Sea. I mean, Moses was insane. Okay? These two men were powerful men of God, but they were dead. And all of a sudden, in front of Peter, James, and John, Jesus has this incredible moment where he just becomes radiant right, white, shining. And then Moses and Elijah comes, and they start having conversation. They had a super natural experience where on the mountaintop high on the mountain. You know, when we go to retreats and we have these supernatural encounters with God, I like to call that the mountaintop experience. This is where you hike away from your everyday responsibilities, where you go away from your school assignments, you go away from your friends, unless your friends are with us. You know, you go away from your family members, whatnot. You climb up this mountain and you have this incredible, intimate moment with God. It's a mountaintop experience. And here on this mountaintop experience, they had this supernatural just experience with Jesus transforming in front of them. And all of a sudden, the prophet Elijah and Moses appearing. It's incredible. Can you imagine? I know some of you guys saw visions of Jesus during, your, uh, during the retreat, during the fire altar call. But, I mean, I don't know the last time I saw Moses and Elijah, you know, coming in and having a conversation. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't just a vision. We're talking about they physically appeared to them. And watch this. What does Peter do? I love Peter because I think I relate most to Peter. Because Peter's a little bit of an idiot sometimes. And when I read what he says and does, I'm like, I would probably do the same exact thing if I were him. He gets so nervous about what's going on. And he says, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. It's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter says, it was good that we were here. Let's stay here. Let's camp here. Let's make, let's pitch a tent and just stay here. And you know, when we go through these mountaintop experiences, often we have that same attitude, man, that retreat was awesome. I wish we could stay there forever. I wish it was like this every single day. I wish I didn't have to go back to my normal responsibilities and deal with my normal problems and, and see my family and have to go with the, go in front of the things that, that, that caused me pain and anguish. I want to stay on the mountaintop. Let's pitch a tent. We have this attitude. It's good here. Yeah, the retreat is good. But the thing about the mountaintop that you guys need to understand where you are not created to live on the mountaintop. You were created for the valleys. Because as much as they had this supernatural encounter, what happened? They came down the mountain. They had to come down the mountain. Moses had this incredible encounter with God in Mount Sinai. He goes up to this mountain, and God consumes the mountain with smoke and with fire. And just God passes His presence by. He gives him the Ten Commandments, and he and he just gives him all these different, you know, uh, 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 different uh, commands about what to do. And and he has this incredible experience. But eventually, can Moses stay on the mountain forever? No, he had to come down. Elijah had this incredible experience going and confronting 450 prophets of Baal, seeing them not only, you know, their gods being made, them being made fools of because the gods of Baal was a joke, but eventually he had to come down that high as well. We want to stay on the mountaintop. It's easy there, isn't it? We want to stay on these mountaintop experiences. You know, when I've had powerful encounters at retreats, I I just a part of me is like, man, I don't want to go back home. I don't want to go back home. I don't want to face what I need to face. I just want to stay right here. It's good here. It's good that we're here. It's good that we're here, says Peter. It's good that we're here. Let's pitch a tent. And Jesus doesn't even respond to that foolishness. You know, Peter doesn't even get a reply. He's just like, he just got straight ignored. All right. That's how foolish his comment was. You know, I have a spiritual father, Pastor Benjamin, a spiritual mom, Pastor Sonny. They're my spiritual mentors. And, and when I come up to them and, you know, there are times where I just say something and, you know, PB, he has to just break it down with love and says, that's foolishness. And I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. And Pastor Benjamin has a, a spiritual father named Pastor Daniels. And, you know, he'll go to Pastor Daniels and explain all this. And then and then Pastor Daniels will be like, that's foolishness. And Pastor Daniels has a spiritual father, Dr. Kirby Clemens. Now, Dr. Kirby Clemens is like on another level. Pastor Daniels says something, and Dr. Kirby doesn't even reply. <laughs> it's just silence. And so it's like, oh, man, you know, I feel like God said this, and God was saying that, and... And then Pastor Daniel's like, yeah, 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 that's foolishness. I don't know where I came up with that. I don't know what, I don't know where that came from. That's foolishness. Like he, he, he's rebuked with silence. That's kind of like what happened with Peter here. He was rebuked with silence. Jesus didn't even respond. We're not meant for the mountaintop. Mountaintop experiences are transforming experiences. What they do is they change who we are. When we encounter who God is, how powerful he is, man, it changes us. But our lives can't just stop there. What happens when they come down from the mountaintop? As they go down, they're met by a crowd of people. A crowd of people that are just broken, hurting, needing Jesus. And a man comes, a father comes in front of Jesus and and begs him. My son, he's dealing with this, he's been mute all of his life. And and, and this, this situation is so serious. He'll throw himself into the fire, throw himself into the water. He pretty much almost tries to kill himself and we have to go and protect him. There was a needing people, a people that needed Jesus, not on the mountaintop. They needed him on the valley. They needed him in the low place. And it was when Jesus came down with the disciples, he saw that poor father, saw the son. And scripture says he had compassion. Jesus' heart was moved. And at that moment, he says, I rebuke you, mute spirit, and I command you to come out. Can you imagine like man, Woo! I wish I was there. I'd just be like, you know, just, just so excited just to see Jesus in action, you know, just with so much authority. I mean, Jesus wasn't never, he was never in a rush and he was never scared. You know, like he had just so much authority over everything that, you know, you can't even imagine him running. He'd just walk. And even when everybody thinks he's late, he's like, like, no, he died already. He was like, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. He just had that kind of authority. The people needed Jesus down the mountain. We want to stay on the mountaintop experience, but mountaintop experiences are intimate ones between you and the Lord. And that's why we can't stay there because you are not called just to be impacted by who God is. You are called to be like him. You are called to come down the mountain and bring the revelation that you got from the mountaintop to the very people that are struggling down below, pick them up and lift them up so that they can be at the mountaintop themselves. This is about more than you, and this is where people lose it. They go on a retreat. They have a power encounter, and they just run on as much energy as the retreat gives them, and eventually they just die, and then they die, and then they die, and then they die. And, and all of a sudden, they're dying before the next retreat, and someone has to beg them to go again. Oh, I've been there before. I'm just so jaded. It doesn't last. It doesn't last because it's all about you. When you begin to understand, to give away what you have received, the fire will keep burning. But when you try to hoard it all to yourself, the fire will fizzle out. One nature of fire is that it must spread. It's got to spread. That's why God uses the imagery of fire so often because he's interested not just in one encounter with you. He's interested in a movement. And it's not a movement with just one person. He's interested in a movement with his people. Man, God has called you and I to set people free. He's called you and I to love people like we felt his love for the first time in that mountaintop place. Wow, God, you actually love me. You actually know me. Some of you got prayed for, and the prayers that someone else prayed over you were so accurate. It it, it was supernatural. How do they know? How could they read my heart like that? Some of you just got embraced, and someone just held you. And And the love of God, the commitment of God, the faithfulness of God just consumed you. Some of you guys shook, fell for a long time on the ground. I'm just uh, you know, Don't be making fun of people like that. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. You know, side note, I used to make fun of people who manifested a certain way, and God got me the exact same way. You just can't mess with the Holy Spirit like that. You know, I had a best friend who, like, would do the crunches. So one day I saw her, and I was like, You know, like just imitating her, mocking her. The next time this presence of God came, guess what? And she looked at me like, fool, that's what you get. I was like, (laughs) I did crunches all night. All night. (laughs) Don't be making fun of people's manifestations, y'all. Be careful. God will get you. What Jesus had um, in store for us at this retreat, it it had to do with more than just you. I think an incredible example of that is just the first group of people that we had the altar call for on the last night were who? The student leaders, the stutters. Each of those stutters have their own testimony of how God encountered them at one point through a retreat some of them through familia some of them through church they all have their own testimony of being set on fire every single one of them but what they did with that fire was they didn't choose to just you know cradle it every oh look at my fire you know like every single day it's just about me no they something the fire of god put such a burning love for others that they decided, man, how can I serve? How can I let this? How can I share this? How can I give this away? How can, I, how can I give someone the experience that I got? How can I love someone like God loves me? How can I be patient with someone like God was patient with me? How can I be unconditional about my care for someone like God is unconditional about his care for me? This was their desire. This was something that supernaturally got placed within their hearts. And that is how their fire kept burning. We were made for just more than the mountaintop experiences. That's just the beginning. I told you that at the retreat. I'm telling you that now. It's just the beginning. Charles Spurgeon, I love him, he's a Christian author incredible preacher from back in the day. I don't even know what time period he was from, but it was a time period where they didn't have microphones. And story goes that stadiums would be packed out and Charles Spurgeon would be on the stage. Remember, there's no sound system, there's no mic, and he would just preach and his voice would resonate from the front all the way to the back. Everybody heard him crystal clear. He was such a powerful man of God. And he wrote a book called My Utmost for His Highest. My Utmost for, this high, for His Highest. Basically, my everything, my best. My best for the one who is the best. And it's this daily book. If you guys have never read this book, I suggest you really get it because it's like a day-by-day, and I've read it through so many times, and it still jacks me up. Like, it still pierces my heart. It's such a powerful, powerful devotional book. Um, But listen to what he says. He says, we have all experienced times of exaltation on the mountain. We have seen things from God's perspective and have wanted to stay there. But God will never allow us to stay there. The true test of our spiritual life is exhibiting the power to descend from the mountain. If we only have the power to go up, something is wrong. It's a wonderful thing to be on the mountain with God, but a person only gets there so he can later go down and lift up the demon-possessed people in the valley. We are made for the valley and the ordinary things of life. And that's where we have to prove our stamina and our strength. When you come down from the mountaintop, that's where you're confronted with the everyday. Now it's not retreat, you know, schedule. Now it's not, let's wake up at eight o'clock. Let's have a morning Devo with a group of people. Now it's not, you know, we're going to have a session in a couple of minutes and then small group. You get thrown back into your everyday life. And this is where the true test comes. Are you going to burn in the ordinary? Are you going to be on fire every day? Are you going to choose to praise God when he's supernaturally encountering you? And also when you're grieving, when you're going through hard times. The fire that God wants to give to you is one that's lasting, not one that's temporary. We're not talking about a three-day fire. We're talking about a fire that will never go out. But when you talk about a fire that doesn't go out, you have to talk about a fire that can sustain all seasons. Not just the fire when everything is going right, a fire that's going to burn when everything's going wrong. A fire that's going to keep on going when, when your family is going through hardship. When your finances are going through hardship, when you're failing your classes, when your friendships are getting tested, will you still burn for God? That's the question. The mountaintop is easy, but now we're on the real ground. This is the real world right here. What the mountaintop experience is designed to do is to tell you everything that you need to burn for me in every season is already inside of you. That revelation, whatever revelation you got, I'm set free in this area, or God loves me, or he was with me during that time of trauma. Whatever revelation that you got from that mountaintop, God is now saying, carry it with you here in the ordinary. When you go to your classes, when you're back to your regular schedule, when you're back to dealing with your pushy mom and your, your dad that's not around, when you're back to dealing with the friends that annoy you and the teachers that drive you crazy, in those everyday situations, God is now saying, still, burn for me. Burn for me. You know, a retreat is a type of mountaintop experience, but there's another mountaintop that God wants you and I to cultivate. And I believe that this mountaintop is the key to keeping the fire going. There's a scripture that talks about going to the mountain of the Lord. Our mountaintop, the one that we need to go to daily, because retreats happen, what, once a semester? Maybe once a year if you go back home at your church? What, are you going to wait once a year to encounter God? That's all you get? No, we got to cultivate a mountaintop that's daily, and that is our worship with the Lord. On an everyday level, we have access to go boldly into the holy of holies, into his presence. You don't need to wait for a three-day retreat to experience God's goodness. You need to cultivate that place every single day where you go and you climb up. God, I know all this is going on, but I'm going to worship you. That's how you hike up the mountain. It's through worship. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to enthrone you. God, all this is going wrong in my life, but I'm going to enthrone you. All this discouragement is happening. All this fear. But I'm going to enthrone you. I'm going to worship you. That's how you keep the fire burning. God's not interested in a love that can't handle the test. Can you imagine? This is why I think people get divorced so quickly is because when the fire comes, and I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the supernatural fire. I'm talking about a shaking and a testing, a fire that's uncomfortable, the fire that purifies. When it comes to certain relationships, all of a sudden, we just want to avoid it. Who wants to run into a fire? Oh, fire. Yay. Ah, No. When you see a fire, you book it in the opposite direction. Or you stop, drop, and roll and do whatever you got to do. But you're not going towards that fire. You want to run away. But God has pre-orchestrated certain fires to go out in your life. And I'm not just talking about that powerful supernatural encounter. I'm talking about a shaking in your life. He has pre-orchestrated shaking in your life because he has designed it to teach you how to burn for him even in those situations. My deepest revelation of who God is and his love for me happened in those kind of fires. It didn't happen when everything was going well. It didn't happen when, you know, my life was looking beautiful and perfect. It happened when I felt like I was completely a wreck in this, in those places where I've hit rock bottom and yet I've still learned to worship God. That's when God began to truly reveal the depths of his love for me. Can you praise him? Not just when, Everyone is here in this room, lifting up their hands, crying out. We want more, but can you praise him when you're all alone and when everything is going wrong, when you learn how to do that, you learn how to climb up that mountain and you learn how to have that mountaintop experience with the Lord on a daily basis. My relationship with my husband has been tested many times. And I think if I didn't have the Lord, I probably would have just, you know, dropped the D word. You know, we, we don't even we don't even we we have concluded that we're not even allowed to say the word divorce. It's just not even. I don't even want it even in our vocabulary. Okay, there's no divorce for me and my husband. So even if I want to choke him to death, I'm a, and I'm just gonna walk away and cool down. But I'm not gonna drop the D word. But if there are times. Let me tell you, there were times where I questioned, I don't know if we're going to get through this. I don't know how we're going to sustain this. Shaking was so hard, but we made a commitment and a vow to one another that I'm going to love you through no matter what. That's the kind of love that God wants from you. Can you be devoted to him? Can you go out to family? Can you go out to prayer meetings when things are psh, falling apart? Can you still worship him? Can you still lift up your hands and say, God, you are good when things are being taken away from you. When the very thing you prepared for all your life, that door gets shut, slammed in your face. Can you still worship him? The fire that God ignited at this weekend, trust me, it's a fire that is one that's going to sustain. It's a fire that's designed to persevere. But it's up to you. Are you going to keep that fire going? Are you going to keep fanning it? Are you going to keep laying yourself down as a living sacrifice? Or is your love conditional? Is your love circumstantial? Is your fire based on your your situation? When you learn the secret of burning for God, no matter what's going on. It's like the secret of apostle Paul. When he says, man, I've been shipwrecked. I've been whipped. I've been scourged. I've been a, what was that? I just go, I was going to say shipwrecked again. But I said that. Yeah. He's been stoned. I mean, Apostle Paul, they thought they killed him. They stoned him so bad. They dragged him outside of the city. He had so much zeal. He got back up and went back into the city that he got stoned in. Who does that? Someone that knows how to burn no matter what's going on. That's the fire that was inside Apostle Paul. That's the fire God wants to burn inside of you. That's the fire that says, no matter what I'm facing, I'm going to consider it pure joy, God, because you are good and you are with me and my love for you will never die down. It will continue to grow. His love for you is so intense. I said it at the retreat. He's burning for you that love that he has for you, he's teaching you and he's showing you how to have it for him. Right now is a sweet time. You guys got breakthrough. Some of you guys got hit. Some of you guys got the the gift of tongue. Some of you guys, you know, fell and shake. That's incredible. That's amazing. But what did I tell you? Those are signs that need to point to the giver. And if we hold on to signs, you've made an idol out of what God has given you. Don't make an idol. This is not about worshiping manifestations. This is not about worshiping gifts. This is about worshiping the giver who stands with you. No matter what you go through, he is by your side. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. Can you worship him through the struggle? When you do that, you will learn the key to joy in all circumstances. When you learn how to cultivate a mountaintop experience, not just at retreats, but daily, God, I'm going to come to you through worship. I'm going to worship you today. Every single day, I'm going to worship you. I don't know about you, but I had times where it was so hard for me to worship God. Where everything inside of me felt like he had abandoned me. Where everything, when I look at my situation, I'm like, God, what's up? What's going on? You know, I've been praying for these things. Why is nothing changing? Why is there no breakthrough here? God, I fasted. I prayed. I contended. I told my, my accountability partner, I told my church, they all fasted and prayed. And ah, why in that place where it seems like he's withholding something from you, can you still give to him? That is the highest form of praise. It's the most expensive. Worshiping him when everything's dandy is is wonderful. God delights in that. But worshiping when you are in a low place, there's nothing like that sweet aroma to the Lord. When I've been through those tough times with my husband and he still looked at me and said, I know that it's been difficult, but I still love you. And I'm still going to stand with you. And I'm still going to remain by your side. And we're still gonna get through this. And we're still gonna live life together. It's in those moments where his words, I love you, have a weightier. It's weighty. It is heavy. It's not when I'm perfect. It's not, well, that never happens, but it's not when I'm doing well. It's not when I remember to clean. And it's not remember when, you know, when his clothes are folded and whatever, whatever. It's not in those nice times. Those are very occasional, by the way. But when it's in those times where, you know, I'm just a mess. And he says, I love you. I love you, man. That's when I'm like, are you serious? Wow. I remember a lot of you guys may know this story, but I remember when I was dating my husband, we had this mountaintop experience. We used to hike Namsan Tower together those were like long gone. Cause I don't do hiking anymore. Um, <laughs> I take cabs. Uh, but I mean, when we were dating, you know, I was like, Oh, for whatever. Cause you know, you put your best foot forward. And so he's like, yeah, you want to hike the mountain? I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'll go. And at this mountain top experience, it wasn't a pleasant one. It was a difficult one. There was one night where we were at the first mountaintop experience. I remember is when we first held hands. (laughs) (laughs) And actually what happened was we were Marcus, pastor Marcus Corpening had called pastor Christian during our date. And he was like a hot mess. This is when he was a student, just like you and Pastor Christian was leading the college ministry. And he was disi- personally discipling Pastor Marcus. So Marcus called him and was having a nervous breakdown about some situation. And we had to sit on a bench. You know, he hijacked our date. So we're sitting on the bench. And, and, and you know, I'm just like waiting and, you know, PC's counseling. And all of a sudden his hand just, you know, na, 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 So he held my hand. So that was one. He tried to hold my hand on the first day, but i rejected that. I was like, sure, what? Um, I'm not that easy, fool. You got to work for my hand-holding, okay? But <laughs> it was because I was so nervous. I was like, ah! <laughs> I wasn't being cool about it. I was just like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, but we had another time when we were on at Namsan Tower, and... Um, at this time, I remember Christian was telling me about, um, uh, asking me about going into detail about my, my past with guys. And I had a, a, a dream that leaded to that. It's going to take too much time, but there was a, a, a prophetic dream that God gave me. And when I shared with Christian, he said, I feel like God is saying, we got to have a heart to heart about your past with guys. <sighs> and I'm sitting there like we have to? (laughs) I mean, he led my healing and deliverance. So he knew a lot of my story, but he didn't know the nitty gritty. And so we had to sit there on the top of the mountain, you know, again, at a bench. And I had to, I began to share with him in detail, just things that had happened to me and how deep these previous relationships were. And, you know, um, how uh, promiscuous I had actually been. And so, as I'm sharing with him, like, seriously, at this point, I always tell everybody, like, in my mind, I was, like, getting ready. I was, like, packing my bags. I was getting ready to get dumped, pretty much, you know? I was like, this guy, he, you know, he is, you know, lived a life for purity for his future wife. And, you know, he's pursued that route and... I mean, I'm about to tell him, drop all this, you know, heavy baggage about what I've done. Like, it's game over. You know, like, it's okay if a dude does it. A girl is supposed to get over it, which is not true, by the way. But that was, like, my thinking. I was like, but if a girl does it, that's, like, double the shame, you know? That was, like, my mentality. And so I was getting ready to, like, in my mind, pack my bags like it's done. He's going to dump me as I'm sharing. So I'm sharing, oh, yeah, and I did this. And <clears throat> and uh, and I also did some of that and um, did that a couple of times. And, um, and like, as I'm sharing with him, like seriously, it was as if my words became daggers. And I could literally see the, the pain, you know, like I was with this guy for this long, you know, like I pretty much like literally lived, I cohabitated with someone for a couple of months, you know, like, you know, like whatever could happen at that moment. And, like, I'm just sitting there, like, explaining. And he's just, like, you know, going down and down and down and down and down. And I, I always tell people, like, I, like no one told me you're supposed to have this conversation with your future husband. You know? Like, in my mind, it was, like, it's not going to matter. I'm going to do me. And then when I get married, like, we'll just, you know, sweep that under the rug. And you don't tell me about your business. And then we get together, and it's, like, hey. Like, I thought I was going to be all good. No, it didn't work like that. My, our history follows us. And even though I got set free, I had to confess because I realized I wasn't just sinning against God. I had sinned against my future husband. I would broken covenant with my future husband before I even made covenant with him. And I became intimate with other men that was, should only have been sanctified and set apart for marriage. I had experienced those experiences outside of marriage. And so I had to tell him. And he shared with me all of his stuff as well. But it was like a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, everything that I had gone through. And it was at that moment I just knew, man, this is game over. Like this relationship is done. Like I'm looking at him and he's like bleeding, you know, like squirts of blood coming out. And I'm like, okay, this is not, not going to work out. And And I'm just preparing myself for the, you know, You know, I was really blessed during this time, but, you know, I think we need to move on. It's not you. It's just me. You know, like I was ready, ready to hear. And I remember, you know, in that moment, God, remember I talked to you guys about laying things down. In that moment, God literally reminded me of Abraham and Isaac. And there's a story in the Bible where God told Abraham Give your son as a burnt offering. You hear what I just said? Give your son his, well, it wasn't his only son. He had Ishmael, but this was his only son, the promised son. This was the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Lay him down for your uh, burnt offering. Burnt offerings, like I said, it was an act of reminding us of our sinfulness, but it was also an act of worship. And Abraham does this and, you know, ties it, you know, his own son down to the altar. And it was a prelude. It was a, it was a kind of like a trailer for how God was going to lay down his own son for our restitution, for our sins. And so I remember getting that vision. I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to lay it down. No matter what happens in this relationship, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to worship you. I remember literally having this conversation with God. And I'm preparing myself, and Christian lifts up his head. I'm finally done with all my history, he lifts up his his head and I say to him, I respect you so much and I will still respect you if you choose to end this relationship. Even if this is too much for you, I will not, my level of respect for you won't even go down a smidget. Like it will remain. I honor you that much. And he looks at me like with, you know, watery eyes and he's like, you don't understand. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It's totally okay. No, you don't understand. No, no, no. I'm I'm saying, I'm saying that I'm not going to, you know, lower my respect. He goes, no, you don't understand that even before you said a single thing, I made up my mind to forgive you for everything you were going to share. Before you said a single thing, before coming on this date, God already confronted me about your past and I laid it all down. God, no matter what she shares with me tonight, I'm going to choose to forgive her and see her the way that you see her. This was a decision that he had already made. And I looked at him and I was like, <laughs> You know, it wasn't like, a, oh my gosh, it was like an ugly, stank, ugly cry. <laughs> like I just was so moved. Because of his commitment to me. I was so moved because of his commitment to me. Did you know that you can move the heart of God? Did you know the God, the the God almighty who created the heavens and the earth. Who spoke the world into being, into motion, that God. You can actually move his heart, you, yourself. You can move his heart, just like the way my heart was moved at that moment. You can move it. And it's in that place of allowing your heart to still burn for him when you feel like daggers are coming your way. God, this isn't going right. This isn't going right. This isn't going right. This is going right. This isn't going right. But I still love you. I'm still committed to you. I still worship you. I will still be zealous for you. When you lay down a worship like that, woo! trust me, you will move his heart. You will move his heart. I want you guys to be on fire. Not just when things are going well. I want to teach you about stewarding the fire when things get tough. I want to teach you about stewarding the fire when you're hurt, when you're broken, when you're discouraged, when you're disappointed. I want you to steward the fire. Because even in those moments, trust me, you can still burn for him. The retreat is done. It's finished. It's over. But the work that God had done at the retreat, that's eternal. We think, man, retreat, the things that God does at a retreat is temporary. And the things that enemy has over us is forever. We think it's like the opposite. Man, that addiction, long term. That encounter with God, it'd be short. That unforgiveness towards my parents, long-term. That love that I have for God, short. We think that God's work is so temporary, but you have no idea that it's his work that is eternal and it's the devil work that's temporary. What you're facing right now that's not easy, what you have to go back to the valley to confront is temporary. You may come across situations like this young boy who has tormented his whole life. But what happened? He got set free. You're going to see walls. You're going to see different, different uh, circumstances that may break your heart initially, but God is going to give you what you need to break through. Why do we need to come back from the mountain? Because this and this place in the everyday In the ordinary, this is where we truly cultivate the depth of our love for him. It's in this place. It's here in this place, Monday through Sunday, every single day, the same schedule, the same classes, the same workday, the same conversations, the same people. It's in this place that your love goes deeper and deeper and deeper for him. It's in this place where the supernatural actually happens. It's time to get a fire that lasts. I told you about my experience when I got hit with fire for the first time and I was down and out for three hours and I was was moving in the gift of tongues. Man, God was so real to me. But the first trial that came my way, I didn't know how to worship him. The first hardship that came my way, I didn't know how to worship him through that time. I looked at that situation. I said, God, you left me. And with that attitude and with that, with that deception, I crawled off the altar and began to walk my own way again. But when I got hit with the fire again, here in Korea, I wasn't planning on making that same mistake. Things didn't go well. I had a point where my co-teacher was persecuting me so bad. Seriously, I taught class with a Korean teacher and I was an English-speaking teacher. That's how I came to Korea. I did public school for about two years. And my co-teacher was hating on me so bad that we would walk in the classroom. She'd open the door first, and she would shut it, and I'm walking right behind her. You know what I mean? Like, she just did not like me. In the beginning, she really liked It was like an up and down. One day, she loved me. One day, she hated me. Like, every day, I was walking on eggshells. Like, oh, my gosh. Who am I going to see today? Nice co-teacher or evil co-teacher? You know, like, oh, hey, how are you today? You know, like, just scared out of my mind. Like, we had so much conflict. And at that time, I was so immature. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to confront her. I didn't know how to be like, hey, that's not okay. I just didn't know what to do. But what I did learn to do was worship. God, this sucks. This sucks. I would wake up calling Christian when we were dating. Like, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to walk up there and just boom into the office. And I can't stand you. And I can't stand you. And I can't stand you. You're okay. I'm out. <laughs> you know, like I would have daydreams of all these opportunities where I would just like book it. But God was like, no, you have to stay. He would not let me quit. I was like, Lord God, just just tell me. You Just give me the word. I'm out of, I'm out of there. It's like, no, you're exactly where you need to be. He had to teach me how to learn to worship him when things were terrible. I had a moment after the fire when my whole family was against me. I would get phone calls from my cousins being like, do you know what you're doing to your family? You know how selfish you are right now being in Korea? You know how selfish you are going through with this marriage? I was engaged to my husband. My family did not approve initially. I had my own best friends be like, Erin, you're, you're an idiot. You're 23 years old. Why are you trying to be engaged right now? Like your family's upset. Just wait, just, ch- just chill out. Just wait a couple of years. Just date him for like four years and see if he's really the one. But I knew that there was a divine timing to things. And I knew that God was setting things up for a breakthrough for my family. But even before the breakthrough came, I had to learn how to worship him. I had to learn how to still stay on fire for him. I had to learn how to love other people when I was in the fire. You know how hard that is? Man, it's easy to get all victim. Like, oh, my family hates me. My co-teacher's the devil. I don't want to go to work. I hate it. Everything's going wrong. And just play the victim mentality every day. Oh, my life sucks and blah, 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 blah. No, God it was teaching me. You're more than a conqueror. Have joy. Have joy. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind. Why? Because God is producing steadfastness, perseverance. He's developing your character because he wants you to lack nothing. That cannot happen until we go through the valleys. We think the valleys are excuses for a spiritual roller coaster. Oh, Christian walk is always supposed to be a spiritual roller coaster. No, 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 no. Your Christian walk will always have seasons. There'll be a season when you're hot. And there's going to be a season when you're not so hot. But no matter what season you're in, whether you're in the winter, when you feel like everything's barren, nothing's working out for you, or you feel like you're in the spring, when everything's blooming, and oh, worship is like, oh, and just angels everywhere, and you just everything is dandy. No matter what season that you are in, you have to still learn how to cultivate a fire, even in the winter. People think wilderness means... No relationship with God. That is such a deception from the enemy. You know what it says in scripture? That she, the bride, came out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. The wilderness time is when you lean on God more than ever. That's what it's designed for. Not distance. Oh, I'm in the wilderness. You're not in the wilderness, homie. You're in sin. That's why you feel distant with God. That's not wilderness. That's disobedience. Wilderness is when you're obeying everything God is telling you to do and you still feel distant from him and you still worship him. That's wilderness. Are you still going to burn for him when things are piping hot? Are you going to burn for him when things are shivering cold? Are you going to burn for him when everybody's supporting you? Woo, yeah, fire, awesome. Are you going to burn for him where like, what, you did what? Dude, that's not right. That's not God. That's weird. Are you going to burn from him when everybody accepts you? Are you going to burn from him when people reject you? Are you going to burn from him when your parents are showering their love for you? Are you going to burn from him when they neglect you? Are you going to burn no matter what? I believe that the fire that God gave us is one that was designed to persevere through anything. That's the fire. How are you going to steward what you received? My message tonight is easy. We want to camp a tent. We want to pinch a tent at this mountaintop, but I'm saying you were created for the valley. You were created for it. What I mean by you are created, I mean you have everything that you need to go through whatever you're going through, to confront whatever you need to confront to deal with whatever you need to deal with, to break off whatever you need to break off, God has already placed everything inside of you to be victorious and to be more than a conqueror. Everything's within you. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because the Christian life was never designed to be easy. It was designed to make you holy. And the holy part is not an easy thing. There's a quote that says, marriage was not meant for happiness. It was meant for holiness. And that's the truth. I'm happy with my husband, but there are many, 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 many times where I'm like, not so happy. (laughs) But I know that what God is doing through my relationship with him is for sure, he's making me holy. He's learning, he's teaching me how to die to myself. Okay, fine. You want fried chicken again? Fine. Go ahead. We can eat fried chicken again. You want those curtains? They're so ugly. Okay, fine. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You know, just learning how to just die to yourself, that's marriage. That's holiness. That's being made more like Christ. Our journey, our Christian journey is that God is setting everything up, everything that you're going through to make you holy. And we're not made holy when everything is going well all the time. It doesn't work like that. We're made purified when we're in the fire. What sustains us in the fire is when we have the fire in us. God is so faithful. He is so faithful to you. Because even when... You don't get it. And even when you let the fire fizzle out, he's going to invite you again. And even when you change and then you revert back to your old ways, God's still going to reach out to you. And even when you fail a test and you face a hard situation and you feel completely neglected and you can't worship God, God is still by your side. One thing that you got to know is that his love will always be unconditional for you. In this journey, as we're learning to be unconditionally in love with him, he will always, without fail, be unconditionally in love with you. You. You know what that means? It means no matter what you do, no matter what you said, no matter what happened, no matter how bad things got, no matter what you cursed him, no matter whether you praised him, no matter what, he's still for you. That's a powerful thing. In Genesis chapter 15, God gives a promise to Abraham about his future descendants and about the promised land. And as he gives this promise to Abraham, Abraham just needed some encouragement. He was like, God, how do I know that this is real? And God commands him to prepare different types of animals. It was a bull, a cow, um, pigeon, I don't know what it was, but a bunch of animals. And he says, slice them in half, because this is how a lot of burnt offerings were done. They were cut in half and uh, not burnt offerings, how covenants were made. And the terminology was cut a covenant cut a covenant because when a a man and when two men made a covenant with one another, they did it with an animal and what they do is they cut the animal in half and they would walk through the two pieces and then your turn, you walk through. And what that means is if I don't fulfill my side of the covenant, may I become like this animal split in half? Yeah, it was a gangster. (laughs) I mean, like it wasn't, You know, today it's like we make false promises all the time. But back in the day, when you made a covenant, like you made a covenant, you were basically saying, may God cut me in half. May I be split in half if I don't fulfill what I told you I was going to fulfill. And God tells Abraham to prepare the animals for a typical covenant. And Abraham falls into a deep sleep. And God comes in the middle of the night like a flaming torch. And he manifests himself and he goes through the split animals, this flaming torch. And then he reiterates his promise to Abraham. One thing that's interesting about Genesis 15 is that Abraham never walked through. It was only God. Only the flaming torch walked through those split animals. Abraham never went through it. What was going on was a one-sided commitment. Meaning you can do whatever you want, but I will always commit to you. My covenant with you will always stand and it's not dependent on you. This was an act of God's covenant to Abraham, giving him the promised land. But I feel like in a lot of ways, this is God's heart for us. When he gives us that grace to become his sons, to be adopted into this kingdom family, when we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, when we understand the price that he paid for our sins, God exemplifies his covenant and says, now I will love you unconditionally. So this whole message isn't to freak you out like you got to perform now. Oh, I better perform. I better do this or else God's not going to love me. I better do this or God's going to be disappointed. No, God is already committed to you. What I'm talking about today is will you be committed to him? And when you forget, when you fail, when you get discouraged, will you get back up and be committed to him again? I want you guys to close your eyes.